great power has greatly benefited mankind. Whether it's the wind, the water, or even nuclear power, you and I enjoy such great privileges this morning as the ability to have lights to see, to be able to have warm weather in the wintertime and cool weather in the summertime. You and I enjoy the privilege of being able to store our foods in refrigerators for a considerable period of time. You think about the great benefit that we enjoy because of physical power that provides for us electricity and other things such as that. We also are the recipients of some great power when it comes to medicine. Your body may be invaded by some sort of an infection, and there are powerful antibiotics that are able to counteract the effects of those infections in the body. Sometimes even there are things such as cancers, and though there's difficulty with some people taking chemotherapy, still it is a powerful tool to be able to preserve the body. When it comes to spiritual things, I want to talk to you this morning about the power in the blood. To do that, I want to ask a question. Is your blood important? Most of you are thinking, that's ridiculous. Of course it's important. If I didn't have my blood, I would die. I want you to go with me to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 17, and verse 11. If I were to be able to pull out one Old Testament verse that I think offers for us an insight into the value of blood, this one verse would be it. Moses writes, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Now for just a moment, think with me about the first part of that. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Any part of your physical body where you cut off the blood flow will die. If you, for instance, cut off the blood flow to a part of your leg, that leg will die. If you cut off the blood flow to part of your heart, your heart, that muscle will die. Physically speaking, blood is not only important, it is essential to your life. But I want you to notice the second part of this verse. And that is God says, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. You see, Moses, speaking by the inspiration of God, is explaining that not only does blood have an essential character to your physical life, but it also possesses a spiritual essentiality as well. If you're injured, you want to stop the bleeding immediately because you know that if you don't, you will bleed out and you will ultimately die. But now let me ask the second question. 
having firmly established that, is the blood of Christ important? And most of us would say, well, obviously, if Jesus did not have the blood in his body when he was on this earth, he would have died, and he did die. But I'm not just talking about the physical sense. In Revelation 1 and verse 5, John writes, he says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, John stresses that it is in the blood of Christ that we are washed from our sins. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It is the blood of Jesus that brings about our redemption. Now, if I were to take a concordance and look at every occurrence of the term blood in the Bible, one-fourth of all of them are found in one book, the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And in that chapter or in those books or in those chapters in that book, you have revealed a lot about the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And what you learn from that is that if I sin, something has to die, something has to shed its blood. That means there's a correlation between I sin, blood is shed. I sin, blood is shed. And that was something that God expected Israel to learn and appreciate. When Paul wrote the book of Romans in chapter 7, he speaks quite frequently, frequently and frankly about the necessity of our understanding sin to be sin. In fact, he said that sin might become exceedingly sinful. It was a symbol of the Passover. You see, as I look through that Old Testament and I begin to appreciate God's plan, I go to the book of Exodus to chapter 12 and verse 13. And God said, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. As the death angel was going to move from house to house to house, when God saw the blood, he said, I'll pass over that house. Blood was a preserving factor for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. There's a number of songs that you and I sing. And these songs focus our mind on the blood of Christ there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Or the song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing but the blood. Or the song that we often sing for an invitation song, Are You Washed in the Blood? And then one of my favorites, There's Power in the Blood. In fact, he said not only power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, we could just spend so much time talking about that. But here's what I would like for us to do in our lesson this morning. There's one very simple verse in your Bible. 
I want you to open your Bibles there. I want you to have this verse marked. This verse is very powerful and very important. As the Lord had established that He was going to die on the cross, as He celebrated the Passover meal with His brethren, the apostles, those whom He had chosen, He instituted the Lord's Supper. And in doing so, He talked to them about the blood that was going to be shed And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We're going to look at four different aspects of this verse as we consider there's power in the blood. As you begin, when Jesus said, this is my blood... We're not talking about just anyone. We're talking about the Savior. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God in the flesh. It was His blood that was shed, and His was the only one that was worthy to be shed because it took a pure, unblemished sacrifice, and only the blood of Jesus would do. And you say, what does that mean? it tells us that Jesus was the only one who was the one capable of being the perfect sacrifice. Pure, innocent, never committed a sin. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15, the Hebrew writer said, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus never made a mistake. He never had a bad thought. He never committed one sin whatsoever. That's the reason why in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth but it was precious blood. And when you start talking about something being precious in the Bible, you emphasize certain characteristics of it. And the passage that was read to us just a few moments ago from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, I want you to reflect back there with me again. He says, Knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Corruptible things he describes here as silver and gold, that which will tarnish, that which can be stolen, that which can be lost. But he says, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, he says, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. Precious means that it is costly, that it is valuable, that it is powerful. Now let's look at what it cost. As I think about what took place when Jesus shed that blood on the cross, I first of all have to think about the Father. And we all know John 3.16 by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
in giving Jesus his son, it wasn't as if the father said, I'm going to let my son just go down and serve mankind. That itself would have been a dramatic gift. But he gave his son to die on the cross. You think about what Hannah did in giving Samuel to the service of the Lord. How Samuel went and moved in and lived with Eli and was raised there in the temple or in the tabernacle. And as he began to serve God there. But Hannah was giving Samuel to die. She was giving him to the service of the Lord. But God gave Jesus to die on the cross. Psalm 49 and verse 8 said, For the redemption of their souls is costly. It cost a lot. It cost God the Father and it cost Jesus the Son. Listen to Philippians 2 beginning with verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That phrase actually is translated from a word which means to empty yourself. You know, like for instance, when you come in in the afternoon and you empty your pockets, you place your change, your keys on the counter. That's the idea of emptying. He emptied himself, making himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The sacrificial nature of it It cost Jesus something. What if in order for you and I to be saved from our sins, it cost us our lives? I mean our physical lives. Well, it cost Jesus that. But it also has great value to us. When something is precious, it not only costs a lot, but it has great value and meaning to us. In 1 John 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. There's power in blood that can forgive every sin. Now, Jesus said, This is my blood. We understand the blood that he shed because he was the perfect sacrifice and because his was the only one that would do that and how precious it was. But then he says, of the new covenant or the new testament. Whenever you talk about something that is new, it automatically brings to your mind something that's old. I've often thought about cities like New York. Where's old York? Or you think about New Mexico. Well, you think about Old Mexico. When you talk about the New Covenant or the New Testament, it throws your mind back to the Old One. And under it, there were a multitude of sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and chapter 10 and verse 4 speak about them. He says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, 
And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. You can't have a forgiveness there unless you've had blood being shed. Chapter 10, verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. We have a problem. Under the Old Testament, you see that you have to have blood to have forgiveness, but this blood, the blood of bulls and goats, can't do it. Thus it was God's plan to replace the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, with a new covenant. We could spend a lot of time studying through the books of Romans and Galatians. I'll just simply point you to Galatians 3, verses 19 through 25. And I will point out that Paul asked the question, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the hand of or through angels, by the hands of a mediator. He's saying that God never intended the old covenant to be a permanent, complete, lasting testament. It was only given till the seed should come. You get down to verses 24 or 23 through 25, and he talks about it being like a tutor or a schoolmaster or someone training us to bring us to Christ. So the Old Testament did have an an impact. It did have value. It was that which trained us and brought us to the new covenant. In Colossians 2 and verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That Old Testament was nailed to the cross. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So the Old Testament was done away. But there's a reason for it being done away. It's because there was a new covenant going to take place that was better. You know, I always like someone says, here, let me take away that. That was a temporary item. Let me give you something that's permanent. Let me give you something that's better. Something that will last longer and has more value. When I get to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. After he'd offered one sacrifice, that did it. Now for just a moment, let me explain to you the difference. Let's imagine, for instance, that you have a dreaded injury. And you go into a hospital And you're there for not just a few days, but for weeks, maybe even months. And when you come out, they tell you that your bill is $500,000. That's not beyond the level of possibilities these days. And let's say they tell you that you owe $500,000 and we expect payment. You throw up your hands and you say, I can't pay. I don't have the money. 
But they look at you and say, but you can pay the interest on it. And you say, but that's ten dollars to $20,000 a year. But you can pay that. And so because of obligation, you start paying the interest. You pay it this year. You pay it next year. You pay it the year after that. Oh, yes, it was costly. But you know what you've never done? You've never paid the principal. You still owe the $500,000. All you've done is just paid the interest on it. You know what those Old Testament sacrifices did? They didn't forgive the sin. They just simply made a person right with God for that year. That's the reason why it was called the Day of Atonement. But when Jesus came, He gave His life that offering one sacrifice paid for it all. It's as if someone comes along and says, you know that bill that you have at that hospital, that $500,000? Here's the money. Bill's paid. You don't owe any more. Hebrews 8 and verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is a mediator of a better covenant established upon better promises. You see, the old covenant could provide for you at least a year's right relationship with God, but couldn't provide the forgiveness of sins eternally. But Jesus says could. That was that better promise. In chapter 9, verses 23 through 26, he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, Therefore it was necessary the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but with the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the priest enters the most holy place with the blood of another. He would then have had to offer or suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just two more verses in this context, verses 12 and 15. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 15, and that's the reason why he's a mediator of a new covenant. For by means of death, the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He's the mediator of a new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, he says, which is shed for many. If there is one principle that you and I can learn from the Bible is, is that we have all sinned and are in need of a sacrifice. There's none of us who can look and say to the other, I'm better than you are. I'm better because I've not sinned and you have sinned. No, we've all done that. Paul in the book of Romans begins in chapter 1 by looking at the Greek, the Gentile. And he says, look at the way they've lived their lives. You go all the way through verse 32 and he talks about the sins which they've committed. And then the self-righteous Jew who would look and say, but look at us, we're God's chosen people. 
in the rest of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, he basically looks at the Jew and said, you've sinned too. You get to chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that when you go to a passage like Luke 19, and you have a little man like Zacchaeus, who's climbed up into a tree, who's interested in what Jesus has to say, he's interested in the salvation that he provides, and people are saying, but he's a tax collector. As if his life was not important, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And what that means is that every soul, every soul is the benefit of Jesus shedding his blood. He shed his blood for every man. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see this Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste of death for everyone. He might taste of death for everyone. Second Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that any should perish. Did Jesus die for the remission of sins? This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus shed his blood? Was that blood shed in order for me to be saved of my sins? Or was it shed because my sins were already forgiven? And I know you're thinking, why would you ask that question? Obviously, Jesus shed his blood so that my sins could be forgiven. In fact, why would he even die if he didn't shed his blood for the remission of sins? Well, here's why. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and let's look at verse 38. Because there's an identical construction here. Then Peter said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now the question comes up is, if Matthew 26, 28 says, for the remission of sins, and it means in order to, then here in Acts 2 and verse 38, what does it mean? We repent and we are baptized in order to be receiving the remission of sins. Remission of sins means that they are completely forgiven, never to be brought up again. One of the greatest passages that describes this is Hebrews 10, 18. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Once you have remission, once it's forgiven, you don't have to bring it up again.
there's power in the blood. Wonder-working power. And you know, if you obey the gospel, you can be purchased by his blood as well. I'm going to use a couple more passages, and then we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And Acts 2 and verse 47, And the Lord added daily to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, this morning, we're privileged to be able to respond to Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian this morning, here's what you need to do. And that's a question that is asked. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, I dealt with the question that was asked in Acts 16 and verse 30. When the Philippian jailer ran in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was the same as the question that was asked in Acts 2 and verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? When you put all those answers together, here's what you come up with. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16 verse 31. Repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. So if you're not a Christian, believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of those sins, and in doing so, you confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the truth is, is that many times those of us who are Christians struggle with sin in our lives. And there is a privilege that we have of being able to come back to God and confess our faults, and ask for the prayers of our brothers and sisters. And if you need to have the prayers of the congregation this morning, then we encourage you as well, as we sing this song, to come forward. Would you come now?